September 29th, 2023. This morning's class and the classes throughout the week are dedicated in memory of Jamila Batsofi by the Mala family and in memory of Shimuel ben Hana by the Ibani family. We're in Masechet Beitzah and the Kafhe Amud Bet at the very top of the Amud, on the top line, right in the middle where the Gemara says Kedetanya. Kedetanya, of course, is quoting a Beraita. Very briefly, just so you remember what we had been talking about, the technicalities notwithstanding, we had a statement of Rameh Bar Abba in which learning from and deriving a law or a practice from the way that the Torah describes the Kohanim were to handle a Korban Olah, he instructed and explained that's the way butchers should handle animals as well. What do I mean by that? both with regards to skinning the animal, hefshet, as well as with regards to cutting it into pieces, nituach, that's what butchers should do. The Torah says at the very onset of Sefer Vayikra, that's what was done with the Korban Ola. Any person who's slaughtering an animal should do so as well. The Gemara wondered and was questioning whether this is a halakha per se. If you didn't do this, is the animal for one reason or another, as we discussed in the Gemara, not kosher? Or is this alternatively it's orah ara, it's manners. Rame bar Abba is teaching us the appropriate ways of doing it. They might ultimately speaking cut it into pieces, but the idea is it should be formally cut into pieces so that it can be checked, is the understanding, as opposed to selling it as a full animal or something along those lines. Uh, so the Gemara, ultimately speaking, decided and understood based on the back and forth at the very bottom of Daf Kafe Amudalaf, Ela Rame Bar Abba. Was only teaching us, well, not only, but he wasn't teaching us a halacha, he was teaching us proper manners. On that note, says the Gemara, let's teach you from a beraita other manners that the rabbis spoke about, lest you believe that Torah, in the eyes of the hachamim, a life of Torah is only about a specific law, it's also about proper conduct. As the hachamim taught in the beraita, lo yochal adam. Shum ubasel merosho ela me'alav. The appropriate way of eating uh, both onions and garlic is uh, not from the roots, but rather from the leaves. In other words, instead of going from the part that's most edible, uh, start the other way. You'd have two sides to it. It would be easiest to go to the heart of it and eat, so to speak, the meat of the vegetable immediately. Instead, it's appropriate to take your time in eating it. Start with the leaves, go in the opposite direction. Why so? If you went ahead and you ate directly, so to speak, from the head of the vegetable, of the garlic or of the onion, you appear to be a person who's very hungry, a person who's just quick to filling their appetite instead of eating in a mindful, appropriate fashion. That's not right. That's not manners. And as a result, say the hachamin and beraita, you shouldn't be doing so. Likewise, says the beraita, lo yishde adam koso bebatahat. You shouldn't drink from a cup. Well, we'll talk about what's inside of that cup in a moment. On one gulp, in one gulp. It shouldn't be one finishing of the cup. Vi'im shata, if you did so, hareze gargeran. You're likewise considered a person who has a certain inappropriate manner, looks as if you're just uh, trying to swallow the drink down. Tanur Rabbanan, another Beraita, teaches the specifics in how you should drink a cup. If a person were to drink the entirety of the cup in one gulp, in 
one uh, putting it down, again, that's a person who shows uh, they have no time for anything that shows posted shows they don't have proper manners. Shinaim, what if you ate it, you drank it in two separate gulps? You took one sip and then another sip. That is derech eretz. That's the appropriate way. Why is the Gemara again mentioning all this? Because we mentioned Rameh Bar Hama, his advice as we understood it with regards to skinning the animal and cutting it, as opposed to a halakha per se. And now we're teaching other manners that the hachamim instructed or advised. Lastly, shilosha migaseh haruach. If you're a person who doesn't drink the cup all at once, nor in two gulps, but rather in three or more, gaseh haruach. Gaseh haruach is a certain haughtiness, certain highbrow arrogance that you seem to have. Oh, something's wrong about doing it like that. Oh, that's not looking good for people who like drinking wine in today's day and age. What that means, you could only drink it in two uh, sips. Well, says Shulchan Aruch, maybe Shulchan Aruch will alleviate this. He'll change the halacha in some way, shape, or form. In Siman Kof Ayin, Saif Het, right? Shulchan Aruch, lo yishde koso bebatahat, vim shatahareze gargeran, shetayim derecheret, that's a direct citation from our Gemara. We're not getting out of this. Says Ramar Bimoshe Isilis, Mihu, however, Kos Katan Meod, if the cup is very small, Mutar Lishtoto Bebataha. Then, and specifically, then, can you drink it all at once? Oh, that's an interesting You can have shots, right? That's right. If it's shots, you could do it. Vechen Gadol Meod, if the cup is very large, you could take three or four, and by extension, more times. That's the words of Shohan Aruch. First on the one gulp, again, so his statement was shots would be okay if it's small. What if it's medium size? And again, these are never defined for us. Further permissibility in terms of rabbinic mannerisms. Mishnah Berurah cites from Magen Abraham, even though you're going to drink it all at once, but if you leave a little bit behind, you're showing, you're designating, I'm just filling myself with this, I'm leaving a little bit behind. In the notes here, in the Ishma Sliach Mishnah Berurah, it quotes from Hacham Ovadia Yosef, that makes a lot of sense uh, to make such a claim, that it, that it depends on A, the context, and B, what the beverage is. If you're dealing with a beverage that is appropriately sipped in the context which you find yourself in, there's no problem taking three, four, or even a hundred sips. It's not a haughtiness, it's not a self-centeredness, if that's the way it's done. If alternatively the other way, so then the other way. In other words, these halachot which seem to be blankly stated here in the Beraita are very much contingent, yeah, very much contingent, yeah, so don't, very much contingent on the context and the type of beverage that's being uh, imbibed. Yes, Charles. All right, so says, says Charles, when you're making kiddush, you have to have a melolugma. Certainly, okay, I mean, as, yes, Sure, but doesn't mean you need to finish the whole cup. You're saying if the cup is mesumsam, yeah, so then you'll be stuck. You'll be stuck. If the cup is exactly the shi'ur, and you're going to have to... Leave a tiny, tiny drop is my again Abraham's suggestion, and you did it. A tiny drop, you drank it all down. Also, there's a difference between drinking it all down and drinking it all down. You could drink it all down in a leisurely fashion. You could drink it all down in a shots fashion with regards to wine. 
That's right. So, okay, so that's the Beraita, and that in turn, again, uh, should be and is understood based on context, society, and norms. It's not so much a halakha, which is existential in terms of its nature. It's rather circumstantial. Read the, scene, read the scenery properly. Understand the context, and in turn, understand how to act. Continues the Gemara. Ve'amar rame bar abba hasuba mekatea raglehon dereshi'aya. So his statement here is hatsuba. We'll have to define what that word is in a moment. Mekatea. Lekatea means to cut off. Raglehon means the legs of. Rishi'aya, well, sounds like wicked people. So something cuts off feet of wicked people. That's, what's that a reference to? Rashi at the t- top left-hand corner uh, side. It's four lines down. Says Rashi, Esiv. A hatsuba is a type of weed or a type of grass. Sheshorashav nukbin v'yordin be'omik. The type of grass is one in which its roots go very deep into the ground. And in addition to that, it's got a unique nature. Its roots don't branch out to either side. They go straight down. Oh, that's a useful and very important uh, type of grass. And it's generally planted It's uh, between the borders of my land and your land, you and your neighbor. They would plant this to be the marker of where it gets cut off where it goes from your land to my land and so forth. Ubo tihem Yehoshua li Israel. The Gemara Bava Batra even teaches that Yehoshua, when he was building the borders and boundaries in Israel of people's different nahalot and so forth, he did it with Hatsuba, with this grass. What does it have to do with wicked people? So says uh, uh, Rashi further, Mekatea ragleha resha'im liyom hadin. So Rashi already added in those words, Yom Hadin, Yom Hadin, not Rosh Hashanah, but Yom Hadin HaGadol VeHanorah. It's Yom Hadin after your death, the day of judgment, so to speak. Uh, so wicked people will be, so to speak, held accountable, prosecuted in the court of heaven on Yom Hadin by Hatsuba. What does that mean? Shigozlim VeChomsin Instead of learning from the grass, which demarcates which land is yours and which land is mine, they push over their borders, they extend their boundaries, and in turn, after death, they'll be brought to judgment based on that grass. In a sense, God turns to you and says, you couldn't learn from that grass? We see the games you played. You stole, you extended your property, you held onto someone else's assets, pretending they were your own. Why weren't you able to see appropriately. So that's the imagery of that it cuts off their feet, it takes away any claim, any defense that they'll have. Rabbeinu Hananel alternatively doesn't read this about Yom Hadin in the context of after death. He says it's in this world. You'll be brought to court because you're in a dispute, not you. The Rasha will be brought to court in a dispute. You stole my land. You breached my property and you'll claim it's not so. We'll point in the court of law in this land to the grass and say, you see, the grass is the marker. Watch out. 
So, okay, that's the reference. The, the first explanation, that of Rashi, will be very consistent with the next few lines here in the Gemara. Why is it being mentioned over here? It seems very strange. First and foremost, it's the same rabbi, Rameh Bar Abba. Secondly, well, in the next line or two, we'll appreciate his words in lieu of what we learned already. But this line on its own has nothing to do. Again, Ve'amar Rameh Bar Abba, some eight lines from the top, Hasuba. This grass, which goes straight down, doesn't branch out to the sides, is a great marker for boundaries. Next. As the next statement over here is Nitia, as Rashi explains to us, is a reference to Orla. It's something that's planted. Orla, the Torah tells us in Vayikra Perek Yotet, in Parashat Kedoshim, that if you plant a fruit tree, the first three years, you're not allowed to benefit from it. It's just like a, a child, a boy who's born, he's an arel until getting his berit milah by Yom Hashemini. So to the tree is uncircumcised the first three years, not allowed to benefit from its fruits, not allowed to benefit from it the first three years. That's the reference to Nitiah. First and foremost, before we continue onward, if I were to point to you and to say, what sort of midah, what sort of character trait do you learn from that? What sort of, um, after all, the Torah has many purposes in each of the mitzvot, but one of them is to refine our character. What sort of character refinement do you get from, uh, from Allah, reserve, patience, indeed? Very clearly, it says to you, don't just jump, don't be a glutton, don't be a person who doesn't have the ability to look at it and allow for it to grow before you jump onto it. So keep that in mind. So nitiah, so uh, the laws of orla, mekatea raglehon de katsavya. It, so to speak, on Yom Hadin, on the after death judgment day, will cut off the legs of, first and foremost, katsavya. Kasav is a butcher. What does that have to do with a butcher? We're going to return to that. Second one is easier to understand. A bo'el means a person who has relations with. Nida is a woman who's in her menstruation period. Now, a person, of course, is not allowed to have relations, even with their wife, when they're in the midst of their period, when they're in nida. That's a person who can't wait. Bo'el nida, first and foremost, hayav karet. But secondly, you've portrayed, you've showed about yourself, I'm not a person who's able to be patient. We already understand the association. The law of the Torah of Orla teaches us that in, lie, in lieu of, uh, by, by understanding that, well, your, your understanding of, well, I can wait and I should be waiting a little bit longer. My hastiness and not being able to be patient is wrong. Before we explain Katsavya, let me just mention, it'll be relevant to Katsavya as well. I just want to deal with that one separately. Um, but uh, Maharsha and Maharal alike, many of the Mifashim to the Gemara question this. They say, the Torah says, for example, you're not allowed to have relations with your wife when she's a nida. I need to teach you well, appreciate that, because Orla is forbidden the first three years. I just say, appreciate that. The Torah says you're not allowed to have relations with your wife while she's a nida. I learned patience from that. It's as if uh, the statement here of Rameh Bar Abba was necessary. You want to appreciate what this means? You want to know why you're going to be prosecuted in the court of law of God for Bo'el Nida? Because you didn't learn from Nitiyad, because you didn't learn from Ola. What do you mean? I didn't learn from the Halakha of Nida in the Torah. Shalom Ali Yisrael, what's this, what's this reference? So Maharsha suggests that... I understand. So quite the, they're both laws. 
Maharsha suggests, Maharsha suggests that um, one, it comes at a, at a significant loss of finances and still a law, and the other one is a relationship. So it's a relationship with just a few days. Three years, not being able to benefit from the produce of my tree is a lot more significant with regards to inculcating and appreciating within ourselves patience. So the Torah, in a sense, says to us, look at this and understand to what extent you should be patient. Understand and appreciate Allah in turn, your relationship with your wife, what are we talking about? Talking about? What's the penalty for Allah? To the best of my knowledge, it's only a mitzvah lotat, not only. It's a mitzvah lotat. So quite, in other words, you're making the question even stronger. Yeah, uh, understood. In other words, the land is even more difficult, suggests Jared. You don't have pat besilo. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, you've seen the first fruits, but maybe you couldn't eat from them, right? Maharal, Maharal in his Nitibot, uh, Maharal suggests that apparently, and, and this one will be corroborated by a story that Morris, uh, that Morris Bennon told me about some cab driver that he met somewhere, that, oh, Maharal, I remember the stories he tell me, Maharal suggests that agriculturally the first three years of growth are not going to be most prosperous. In other words, you might be tempted to saying, I'm going to indulge in the first three years of the fruit tree, you're just not going to do well, both spiritually and physically. It's just not good for the ground. It's better that the tree be able to over the course of three years uh, mature itself, grow itself fully out without being picked prematurely, etc. So the statement in turn is you might not feel and appreciate that in the relationship with your wife, uh, but look at this one. This is a physical reality which I guess is undisputed. I guess you'll be able to appreciate more. You're not going to reap any benefit from your lack of patience. Appreciate it in turn with your relationship with your wife. All right, so that's what we have with regards to learning from and prosecuting the bo'ale nidot from neti'ah. What's the katsbaya, Rashi? On the left-hand side, neti'ah mekatea radlehon or raglehan de katsbaya. Niti'ah, the laws of Ola, cuts off the legs of butchers. Niti'at Ola, writes Rashi, okay, we're referring to those first three years. Shamira Torah lehamtin shaloshani mileecho perot mekatea ragleha katsabim. It cuts off the legs of the, again, not literally of the butchers. Hamimaharim leechol kodem hefshet venituach. It's, we're referring again to the Rameh Baraba statement that we had earlier. It's from those, it's referring to those who slaughter and don't wait to skin and to cut up first. Why does that have to, uh, well, what's the issue? Uh, sometimes the animal will emerge as being not kosher. It had an internal blemish. That's the statement. Don't jump the gun because you might violate a major issue of not eating kosher, of eating terefa. That's the statement in turn of Rameh Barabbas. So let me summarize it again and then ask a basic question, which I hope... That's right, that's right, that's right, exactly. So that's the question that begs itself. So again, the statement of Rameh Barabbas leaving Bo'aleni Dot on the side is as follows. If a butcher were to slaughter and to not skin and to not cut it up appropriately and in the right way, well, he should be learning from Ola. The same way Ola, if you eat it in the first three years, you're sinning, you're doing the wrong thing, 
because the Torah told you not to. So too over here, you might fall prey to terefa, which you didn't know about. The question begs itself as Tosafot on the top uh, right-hand corner asks, wait a second, you told us just five, six, maybe eight lines ago, this is Orach Ara'ah. You told me Rameh Barabah was only telling me manners. That's why you cited the Beraita, how to drink and how to eat. This isn't the Halakha. We have the Hezkat Heter, if to use the terminology from yesterday. We know that the animal is kosher until proven unkosher once it's killed. Well, that being the case, once it's slaughtered, that being the case, what type of statement is this over here? It's almost as if I should learn from a prohibition, from a violation to a case of, well, just manners. Halachically speaking, I don't need to be doing this. Tosafot, top right-hand corner, quotes, Piresh Rashi, V'lav mishum isur terefa. Tema, okay, this is on the earlier line, the Gemara. Orach ara, the Gemara said, is, is, is in contrast to an isur. Tema says Tosafot, it's difficult to understand. De besamuch, in the next few lines of the Gemara, which we now just read, Mashmashi yesh isur badavar, teka'ama the Gemara says your after death court case is going to be, uh, if you're a butcher, going to be bringing up this issue that you didn't have proper manners. I mean, it's important. It sounds like there's an Isur, and Rashi indeed says there is an Isur. V'yesh lomar devadai leka Isura. Tosafot says, listen, the Gemara was clear. There's no Isur. Once it's slaughtered, you can and should assume that the meat is kosher. As we discussed yesterday, once it's slaughtered, you can and should assume it's kosher. However, if you did afterwards find that the animal wasn't kosher, you'll be considered shogeg, meaning accidental, not honest, it was completely out of your uh, capabilities to avoid. What's the difference between those two? Well, for example, the Torah says hatat is a korban you bring when you do something accidentally. You're liable for mistakes. Honest is something entirely out of my capability. Says Tosafot, since the manners are that you should be skinning and cutting. It's true, you didn't do so, you didn't violate, but in terms of liability after the fact, in terms of what happens, in terms of punishment and what you're responsible for, we're not gonna be so light. We're going to consider it like shogeg as opposed to onus. Lemashal. Lemashal, you had time. If you had skinned it and cut it, you would have noticed this. So Lemashal, just to give you an just just to give you an example for this, the example for this is um, is uh, I guess the best example comes to mind now. The Gemara Masechem Menachot says, listen, technically speaking, you don't need to be wearing a talit at all times. You don't need to be wearing a four cornered garment that has sisit on it. You don't want to, don't do it. There's no obligation. It's only when you're wearing a four cornered garment. The Gemara, however, states be'idna deritha at times of anger, quote unquote, of Hakadosh Baruch Hu, those who could have and didn't are in some way punished more. In some way, it's the wrath is taken out. 
on them. I don't think the Hachamim imagine God as having emotions. The Torah doesn't mean he actually has emotions when he gets angry. It's trying to describe a mode of conduct to us. If there's something you can and should be doing and you didn't, well, it's true. You don't need to be doing it and you can make that claim. When the going gets rough, it's those uh, you skipped over moments where you get the most, uh, most nailed for it. So I didn't need to be cutting it and skinning it. You told me it's just for manners. I, okay, I didn't have the proper manners. And now I'm caught in this situation. That's right. If, if you weren't caught in this situation, nothing would be held against you. You are in this situation. Don't think we're going to be light on you. You should have been doing this the right way. It's not going to be considered mezid, but it'll be considered al panim shogeg. This it's not mezid. It's not mezid. You had a hazkateter. You're not going to be considered a sinner for not wearing a talet katan. You don't need to be wearing it. You should have done it because it's the right thing to do. Now, in the aftermath of that, you didn't do it. All right, I got away my whole career not studying for my tests in school. All right, you should be studying. It's the way you're growing, really. The whole system is built. The reason you have the test is so that you're studying and growing. But I was able to pull it off. One time I didn't. Now I got nailed. Now I didn't do well on the test. And they said, I can't make the claim, but I studied anyway. No, you didn't study. You should have been studying throughout. But I didn't need to. You don't need to. But if you're not doing it, you're to a certain extent missing the point of where you should be do- what you should yeah, be doing. Every mitzvah and every... Yeah, it's a very fine line. Oh, it's conflicting. How so? I didn't get the best school out. I didn't... Uh, I was an ultra-respectful to my parents. I don't know. Where does it stop? Why are you stopping at those two things? Over here, <laughs> over here, the Hachamim are saying, Rameh Barabah, in his opinion, this is what you should be doing. Nobody's saying that you need to, you should be having the best lulav in the world. There's a halacha with regards to the type of lulav and etrog you should have. Over here, this is what you should be doing. But if I didn't, I'm okay. You're right. It needs to be, it needs to be fine-tuned a little bit more. But I don't, those are not the questions. You'll have questions on it, though. I hear you. Not Yom Tov here, this is Be'alma in general. That's Rabbi Akiva in the Mishnah. Rameh Barabbah has nothing to do with it. Rameh Barabbah was just a statement in a vacuum. They brought a proof that he has to hold like Rav from the Mishnah. Rameh Barabbah was just saying, let's learn from Ola. Look at the first lines of the Let's learn from Ola. This is the right way to slaughter an animal. Would it, I, I don't think we would argue that. Correct. I don't, which is the same type of answer I'm saying to Jeffrey as well. You don't have the means. You don't have the money to pay for the most important lulav. It doesn't match the way you spend your money generally. So we're not going to expect that of you. It's the last minutes of the Yom Tov. We're not going to per se expect it of you either. You have the ability, and this is the proper manners. Again, you have to figure out exact, exactly how and when to apply this. But, but so, as I understand. I don't think it's going to be to that extent a korban hatat either. I think it's, it's a good question. It's going, it's going to actually obligate a korban hatat's what tosafot means? I think it means with regards to what the, you know, the tishuba and the atonement just in general. They, sorry, yes. This is all in the camp of defense. Yes. Right. So there is no, you're not over anything. Correct. Correct. There is no concept of defense. 
Well, that's hard, that's hard to say. That's hard to, there, there are objective, there are objective derecheretz vehalachta bidrachav. Harambam has a whole section called Hilchot De'ot. Hilchot De'ot are character traits that you're supposed to refine. And there he cites the pasuk vehalachta bidrachav. You should walk in the ways of God as, and we call it imitatio Dei. You act like God and therefore you refine your character. But to objectify what that means and to say it goes like this as opposed to like that, sometimes we can do that, oftentimes we can't. There is a mitzvah in fulfilling it. There's no violation per se. There's no mitzvah, lo ta'aseh, don't act without, without manners. Something so, goes on. Is that, like, how does that work? Well, first and foremost, there's a major dispute as to what those words mean. In other words, what do those, those words might have something to do, some would argue, with uh, making certain that you're self-sustained. The derech it's meaning I'm involved in sustaining myself the way of the world. I, I, I have a job of some sort. I have an income. Derech uh, if it's midot, so it's not saying per se that it's a lot if you didn't do it. This is a prerequisite. If I'm not a person who's refined, I won't be able to learn Torah appropriately. In other words, that, that sort of conversation, I don't think that affects this per se. Same, same idea, same idea of Mars. In other words, you're supposed to be Kadosh because I'm Kadosh, it's the same idea, you're supposed to mimic my ways. There is a Teshubah in She'elot Teshubot Torah Lishma. Torah Lishma was written by, the, the title page used to say that it's written by someone named Yechezkel Kahli. There was never a person alive with that name, Yechezkel Kahli. It was rather written by Ben Ishai, by Rabbi Yosef Hayim of Baghdad. Why he decided to write the book in a different name, there's no simple answer. He came with this book and he said, I discovered this book. It's all his teshubot. We know it with certainty today. We knew it based on his children in the past. In today's day and age, we know it with certainty because there's been computer programs which compared the writings in this book to the writings of Ben Ishai and his other books. Regardless, in She'elah Resh Yod, in this She'elot to Teshubot, he has the following question. He says, what if you took a bite into an apple? Apples are not, I get, he doesn't say an apple, he says a peri, a fruit which doesn't need checking. There are certain fruits that you eat from them, we know that they are prone to have worms and infestation. You should be checking them in whatever is the appropriate way to do so. But what if it's an apple? There's no obligation, there's not an assumption that there's a worm in the apple. You took a bite in and there's not a whole worm at this point, there's half a worm. Only I just ate half a worm. That's a violation of several Yisurim from the Torah, eating worms, you're not allowed to do so. Do I now in turn need to understand this as a sin which I need to repent for or not? Likewise, I, I don't know, I guess they used to do this, I crack open an egg and I eat it directly into my mouth, raw. And then I, eat, I swallow half of it and then I look in it and it's all bloody, a blood that could be problematic. Now I don't have an obligation per se to be checking it under most circumstances. And I didn't check it because I didn't have that obligation, but now I determined that I just swallowed some of the blood of the egg, which is a problem. Well, what's the halacha in each of those circumstances? Ben Ishai here in She'elot Tishbot Torah Lishma suggests, based on our Tosafot, there's no kapara that's in place, there's no Tishubah that's necessary, why not? Well, our Tosafot is telling us that provided that you did what you were supposed to do, you followed the 
the parameters of the law. Exactly as Tosafot told us, you should, according to Rameh Bar Abba, be skinning and cutting the animal. Then and only then is it not considered honest, but rather shogig. If you went ahead and you slaughtered and you did so, whatever, and then you found that it was terefa, then it's going to be full-fledged honest. Suggests uh, to Benish High in turn, he says, in a circumstance where you did your due diligence, and believe it or not, maybe not in these situations, but people have these sorts of issues. They'll come to the rabbi and say, but I did everything I was supposed to, but now I feel all guilty. You did everything you're supposed to. Alpidin, you're considered honest. You are off the hook. Does that mean you shouldn't look to refine yourself? Of course you should. Concludes Benish High. Still, no, it's not shogeg. It's honest. It's honest. That's the whole point here, Eli. Understand the difference. Shogeg means I made a mistake in law, in practice. Honest means it was out of my hand. No, that's the most, it's a very important... Here, if you did the nituach, the skinning, and the uh, 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 the hefshet and the nituach, then you're honest, provided that you did that. That's right. So, for example, if it's a fruit that needs checking, and you checked it, lettuce, mabarif, and you checked it, you bought it from someone with a hashkaha that it was checked, and then you're eating from it, and oh my goodness, there's a bug, half a bug. Honest, maybe I'm shogig. No, that's what Tosafot is telling us. As long as you did what you were supposed to do, honest, it's when you didn't do what you were supposed to do that it's considered shogig. Interesting point, Jesse. Interesting point, interesting extension. All right, says the Gemara, let's just read one more line here in the Gemara. Says the Gemara, Tormusa mekatea raglehon de san ehon shel Yisrael. Tormosa, Rashi, basing himself on hachamim elsewhere, is a, kot, a min kotnit. It's a type of legum or bean. And this legum or bean isn't eaten in a regular fashion. It's very bitter until you cook it seven times. So Tormoson needs seven cooking processes until it's now sweetened. But once it's sweetened, you serve it even for dessert. Says, Rash, says the Gemara, says Rameh Bar Abba, this Tormusa will cut off the legs on Yom Hadin of Son Ehen Shel Yisrael. Now Son Ehen Shel Yisrael is not a reference to haters of Yisrael. It's a euphemism. It's a reference to us when we do wrong. It's enemies of ourselves when we do wrong. What do we have to do with a bean? Well, it cites a pasuk, and now count together with me how many wrong avodazaras the pasuk here in Sefer Shofetim lists, et ha-be'alim one, ve'et ha-ashtarot two, ve'et Elohe Aram three, ve'et Elohe Sidon four, ve'et Elohe Moab five, ve'et Elohe Bnei Amon six, ve'et Elohe Pelishtim seven, ve'yazu et Adonai ve'lo avduhu. So the pasuk is describing seven avodazaras which Am Yisrael Commit that the the mekatea shel Yisrael in turn goes as follows. He says you, it, seven times it was bitter. You were seven times down kisheva yipol sadik. But you have to afterwards have the vakam. You have to afterwards say I learned at least from seven falls, the seven avodazaras, the seven bitter processes together with this tormoson, and you didn't fix yourself at the end. You didn't become sweetened at the end. That's your. You tell me that you stumbled seven times. I'll accept that you weren't able to, after seven times, learn the lesson from the bean in the way of the bean and sweeten your relationship with God, that's when you're going to have the prosecution against you. That's where you won't be able to defend yourself. <laughs>